So as you all know, we have a Queer Money Facebook group, and from time to time, we like to address questions that we get in the Queer Money Facebook group on the Queer Money Podcast. So we had a question come from Joseph, and Joseph asked, what's the difference between 403Bs and 401Ks? With the high percentage of queer people working in the nonprofit, the education, the government sectors, we think that this is an important topic to cover. We wanted to make sure we answered this question. So often 403Bs don't get as much attention as 401Ks, and there are some key differences. We want to cover both the similarities and the differences. Ultimately, though, invest in whatever company-sponsored retirement plan that you have access to. Investing even just 1% of your income into such an account will go a long way to improving your financial security. Now, we encourage you to try to do at least 10%, but if you are doing nothing, at least start with one now. For help calculating where you stand relative to your retirement goals, download the Magic Money Calculator to see if you're on track for retirement at debtfreeguys.com forward slash 165. Here at Queer Money, we want to help build a financially strong LGBT community. We believe in a financially strong LGBT community, and we want to see one. If you do too, help us spread the word of financial empowerment for our community by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. Now, on with the show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. So welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. We're happy to have you. Thanks again for listening. A recent survey found that of the LGBTQ participants, these are individuals who self-identified as LGBTQ, that of those in the survey, only 27% said they were participating in their employer-sponsored retirement plan. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa is right. And the reason why that is so important is because so many of our of us in our community will not have children, will not have familial support in those future years when we can no longer take care of ourselves physically. The reality is, is that the vast majority of us are going to get to that point. We will end up getting there. So there, there are a couple of pillars to financial security. They're not the only ways to get the financial security, but there are some catalysts to, to getting there easier or faster. One of them is home ownership. And we know from the NBC report a couple months back that over the last 20 years, same-sex couples were 73% more likely to be denied a mortgage than their straight peers. So that's co- sort of keeping us from the American dream and kind of holding that catalyst of financial security outside of arm's reach. Now, it's not the only way to achieve financial security, but many people believe that it's a great way to achieve that, David and I included. Another way to effectively and efficiently achieve financial security that we're finding from study after study is through company-sponsored retirement plans. Now, not all companies offer retirement plans, but for those who work for companies that do, not using your 401k, your 403b, or whatever it might be that your company offers is keeping that pillar of financial security outside of arm's reach for you. Right. It's throwing away free money. In many cases, it is throwing away free money. You know, it's interesting, back on episode 161, we talked with David Bach, uh, who is now a 10 times bestseller a New York Times bestseller, selling author, who has been helping people for over 20 years now, talking to people about ways and paths to financial security. And he mentioned those two, right? He mentioned that you either have to own real estate. He suggests that you own real estate and you invest uh, in stocks. 
as his foundation for financial security? Well, one, investing in stocks through your 401k, 403b plan, or your employer-sponsored plan is probably the easiest and one of the cheaper ways to actually invest in stocks. So if we're not buying homes, because we already know that the statistics are showing about half of the LGBT community, percentage-wise, half of the percent of LGBT people own homes compared to those who are straight. So non-LGBT people, 66% of them own a home. LGBT people, 33% of them own a home. Non-LGBT people, I think it's over 50%. I think it's closer to 60% are participating in their employer-sponsored retirement plan compared to 27% of LGBT people. So our community is not putting its money where it needs to be to be able to have a long-term better future. Right. right? So we need to start changing that. And that's the impetus for today's episode. Right. So what is a 403B? What is a 401K? If you're not participating in those at your employer, you probably are curious or have no clue. And it's okay to not have any clue. You need to get educated. And that's why we're here. So what is a 403B? What is a 401K? They are what are called employer-sponsored retirement plans. An employer-sponsored retirement plan is a way that you as an individual can save for the future with the support and help of your employer. Exactly. So basically, this is one of the benefits that many, though not all, employers provide. And taking advantage of it can really be a jump starter and a catalyst to financial security. Right. And just just to let you know that there are several other employer-sponsored types of plans, but the 403B and 401K are the most common because they're the largest type. Right. So to figure out what kind of company-sponsored retirement plan your company offers, the best resource is your human resources office. So typically a company-sponsored retirement plan, your employer in this relationship acts as the plan sponsor. An investment firm such as MassMutual or Fidelity, they act as a plan administrator and you are the plan participant. So those are the three sort of main relationships in an employer-sponsored retirement plan. And through your payroll deduction, you can make contributions to your company-sponsored retirement plan that quite possibly, though not always, will reduce your taxable consequences for income and also allow you to have your money grow tax-free, which increases the ability to achieve financial security down the road. Right. One of the other things that uh, we talked about with David Bach on that episode 161 was this idea of paying yourself first. And really, this is what employer-sponsored plans can do. They allow you to pay yourself first because you're being able to have this money withdrawn from your paycheck before you even see it. Exactly. And and that's the best part about it is that if you, especially if you can start this as soon as you start your career to automatically at least 1% or of course, the more you can do the better of your income to put into this retirement plan so that you never see it, then you never get accustomed to sort of having this sort of standard of living. Right. And as your income increases, the size of the percentage increases and you're always able to give more and more into your retirement plan and grow your your financial security. Right. And you know, part of the reason why these all came about was this idea that back in the, I think it was in the 40s or 50s, individuals were not investing for their future. And companies 
couldn't afford to take care of their employees for the rest of their lives. So basically what started to happen is the government said that employers and employees need to share in the responsibility of planning ahead for individuals when they can no longer work so that they have money for the rest of their lives. So that's why John kind of talked about this as kind of a three-participant way of doing this. You have your employer, you have the investment company, and then you have yourself. And so everyone needs to take an active role in this. One of the things that we did want to highlight is that your employer most likely only has one of these types of plans, a 403B or a 401K, but there are two kind of flavors of them. And so we could do a whole episode on Roth versus traditional. We don't have the time for that, but I just wanted to mention this. What is the difference between a Roth or a traditional? And sometimes it's just a Roth 401K or a 401k. So it isn't always say traditional. Sometimes it's just a 401k or a Roth 401k. So what's the difference between the two? Well, traditional was the beginning. That's where it first started out. That's why it's called a traditional or just a plain 401k. So the way that that works is that when you put money in, it's taken out of your paycheck and you get a tax break when that money is taken out. So you don't pay taxes on that. So let's just say, for example, you're contributing 10% of your paycheck. So that 10% that you contribute, you're not paying taxes on. So you get a tax break right there. But when you take the money out of the 401k or the retirement plan, at the end, when you retire, you're going to be taxed on that money. So let's say that you had over your life and had invested $100,000 into that you didn't pay taxes on that $100,000, but let's say it grew to being a million. Now you're going to pay taxes on that million. The Roth is just the opposite. You put the money in and you don't get a tax break at the beginning. You get a tax break when you take the money out. So let's say, for example, you're contributing 10%. You're going to contribute 10%, but it's going to feel like the full 10% is coming out of your paycheck. Whereas with the traditional, it won't feel like the full 10% is coming out. But let's say that $100,000 you put in the Roth grows to a million dollars. You will pay taxes on the $100,000 while you're putting it in. You won't pay taxes on the million dollars as it's coming out. So there's some benefits and drawbacks to both. We'll have to cover that in another podcast. Exactly. And if this is starting to sound confusing, you can always find a Roth versus traditional IRA calculator, and you can start playing with the numbers, and that really highlights what the differences between the two kinds are. Yeah. And this clearly is a topic that we need to cover in another Queer Money episode. Exactly. So in these accounts, typically you can invest in primarily three kinds of investments. Most of them have access to what are called mutual funds. And if you're not familiar with what mutual funds are, typically they're a basket of investments, mostly stocks, that act as a single investment. And typically they're 401ks and 403bs. There are a handful, anywhere from four to maybe at a maximum 10 mutual funds that you can choose from to choose for your allocation of your portfolio. There are also what's called exchange-traded funds or ETFs. These are similar to mutual funds in that they're kind of baskets of other investments, but they trade on a day-to-day basis similar to a stock. So it's kind of a hybrid investment. And then there are what's called managed portfolios, which are a combination of mutual funds or ETFs or baskets of baskets of investments that help you achieve a particular goal. 
And very often they'll be described as either aggressive or long-term conservative or, or something that kind of makes it simple to understand what the objective of that particular managed portfolio is. Um, the mutual funds are typically what are called C-classes. So there are different classes of mutual funds. What you have access to in a 401k or 403b are basically institutional shares that are oftentimes the more expensive share classes to purchase, but very often the operating expenses of those mutual funds are lower. And the operating expenses are typically called 12B1 fees um, that help with the annual marketing and distribution and functionality of the mutual fund or ETF. The reason that we want to share this with you is that the mutual funds that you would have access to, for example, in a 403B or a 401k aren't necessarily the ones that you would be able to buy as an individual through a brokerage firm or online yourself. They are institutional shares that are only available to those who are participating in a group plan. So we're going to discuss a couple more of the similarities. Now, I know that some of this is maybe a little deeper than you were expecting, but we want to cover this information so you're really clear on what the similarities and what the differences are so that when you go to sign up for this, or you are signing up, or you have already signed up, you know what it is that you have in case you want to make some changes or are able to make the right decision. So what else is similar? Contribution limits. And contribution limits, basically that means is this is the maximum money that could come out of your paycheck over the year and go into one of these types of accounts. So the maximum for 2018 was $18,500. We've already passed that. We're on 2019. So that increased to $19,000. Now, the reason we highlight that is oftentimes this number stays static. It, it doesn't increase every single year. So there was an increase last year from $18,500 to $19,000. For many of us, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And that probably means you won't be able to reach that. But there are definitely some in our community that are earning a significant amount of money. And it would be really smart for you to make sure that you're trying to get as close to those contribution limits as possible. Now, if you're an older person, like I'm getting up in years, this is going to happen to me in a few <laughs> Don't years. Push it. Um, <laughs> you get the opportunity, you have the opportunity to do what they call catch up contributions. So let's say when you were younger, you weren't earning enough money to be able to put enough in. So once you reach the age of 50, you can start putting in an additional $6,000. So that means that in 2019, if you're over 50, your contribution limit is $25,000. The reason we highlight this is because, as we mentioned earlier, there's a lot of individuals in our community that aren't participating in their 401ks or in their employer-sponsored retirement plans. That has been historically the case with the community. Right now, there are a significant number of individuals in our community who are 50 and above who didn't contribute, some of them because, to be honest, they didn't necessarily think that they were going to live this long. <laughs> but now they are, thank goodness, that we have medical advancements. But you have that opportunity to add that additional contribution. So if you're in a situation where you don't have a lot accumulated for retirement, you're working, 
please try to push that contribution limit up to that $25,000. I know that for many, that's a lot of money, but if you have access to it, do it. You're going to be happier in the end. (laughs) Yeah, you'll never regret investing more. Yeah. So the other thing is that when you are ready to start taking money out, there are some requirements around this. Now, for many of us, traditional path will be that we can start to withdraw money from the account without any penalties once we reach the age of 59 and a half. So that's getting close to retirement age. But there are some conditions that allow you to withdraw the money without penalty before you're 59 and a half. But if you don't meet those particular conditions, you're going to be subject to a 10% withdrawal penalty. That is money that you will never get back. The IRS just says they do this so that people don't constantly put money in, take it out, put it in, take it out like many people do with their emergency savings, put money in, take it out, put money in and take it out. They don't want that happening. They want this money to stay in there for a long time, for allow it to grow, allow it to accumulate. So that's why there is that penalty. Those conditions oftentimes are around financial hardship medical issues. So that may be the kind of thing that may be happening that you would be able to access the money. We definitely discourage that. Use it only as a last resort. So the other thing that we want to talk about that is one of the best things about this, your employer-sponsored retirement plan, is that for many of you, if you have an employer-sponsored retirement plan, your employer is going to match the amount of money that you put in there up to a certain dollar amount or a certain percentage. So for example, I used to work for a company where they matched 50% of everything that I put in up to a maximum of 8% of my salary. So that meant that if I were putting in 8%, they were going to put in 4%. That meant that going into my account would be a total of 12% of my salary every year. If I decided to only put in 4%, they were only going to put in 2%. Now, So you want to check to see what your employer match is. And the primary reason you want to do that is because this is free money. If you are not meeting the minimum to get your employer match, please do so. You are allowing other people to get access to money that is rightfully yours. You really should be getting this money. So please increase your contribution or start contributing so you can get that employer match. You'll love it or you'll be happy that you did it in the end. (laughs) Exactly. A couple more similarities here. The important thing, as with anything with finances, is to understand exactly what your costs are. Very often, many of us go into signing up for a credit card or signing up for a financial advisor, buying an investment without necessarily understanding all of the inherent costs. So some of this is fine print information, but it's also something that's important to at least be aware of so you know the right questions to ask. But your employer is the plan's sponsor and pays the plan administrator, such as Mass Mutual or Fidelity, a fee to manage the plan and any other additional fees that are included in the management of the plan. Very often, those fees will be passed on to you. One of the biggest, I guess, hot topics in the retirement investing world over the last several years is some of the 
seemingly egregious costs to manage some of these plans, some of the fees that are being charged. So you want to be, when you're picking the mutual funds or the exchange-traded funds that you want to include in your plan, remember that there are several layers of fees being included. There's a fee simply just to have the plan all together. There's a fee to manage the investments that are in the plan. There may actually be transaction fees as well. So be aware of what the different levels of fees are, and that might help drive the decisions of the investments that you end up making. Yeah, I'm going to give a little plug here. I know that some of this can sound really confusing. And if you're not in this space, if you're not in financial services, many of much of this information may feel like it's going over your head. I want to give a plug, a shout out to one of our business partners, Bloom, spelled B-L-O-O-O-M. We'll link to the in the show notes and in the podcast information. But Bloom, what they do is they will look at the funds that are available to you. They will make an assessment based on your risk and your knowledge and put you into a portfolio that tries to reduce the fees as much as possible and looks for the best long-term possible reward. When I signed up for Bloom back when I had a 401k account, they were projecting that just by a few of the little tweaks that they would have made, that over a 15-year period that I would save and earn an additional $60,000. So I want to encourage you, if you're concerned about it, think about doing this. The final similarity, and this is something that's very important for everyone to know because a lot of money gets left on the table. But if you leave your employer, you can do a tax-free rollover into the same type of account, whether that's a 403B or a 401k, or a similar similarly functioning account, such as a traditional IRA, a 457 plan, or a SEP IRA, which are also company-sponsored retirement plans. There is just a ton of money left on the table from people who leave an employer. They forget to take their plan with them, or they oftentimes think, I'll get to it someday. Then they never do. They forget where they work, and there's money that's owed to them, and the state is actually holding on to. So, Keep in mind that if you leave an employer, that money that you invested in there, especially if you're 100% invested, is yours. And you can take that money with you when you go. Now, whether you transfer that to your your new company's employer-sponsored retirement plan, or you decide to transfer that into a self-directed traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, that's up to you. But just know that you want to make sure you take that money with you. You don't want to leave that on your, at your employer and then ultimately forget about it someday. Yeah, and I'll just maybe tack on one other thing since John just mentioned the word vesting. What does that mean? So vesting is basically what your employer can do is they can set it up so that you have to wait a certain amount of time before you get access to the money that they have put in. So let's say, for example, you're contributing $1,000 a month and they're contributing $500 a month. So the vesting, what they could do is say that the amount of money that they're putting in, in the first year, you only have access to 20% of that. So that means that after the first year, if you were to leave them, you would only get 20% of that $500. Let's say the next year, it's an additional 20%. Then if you leave after two years, you would get access to 40% of that $500. So that's what vesting is, is it basically allows the employer to say, we're not going to give you access to all that money unless you stay with us a certain amount of time. Okay, so now we're going to discuss some of the differences between 403Bs and 401Ks. We'll first focus on 403Bs. 
for employees of tax-exempt organizations, usually schools, hospitals, or advocacy groups, and maybe something similar. 403Bs are typically the type of plans that are available. So if you're working for a nonprofit, if you're working at a hospital or you're working for a school, it's very likely that your organization is offering a 403B as your company-sponsored retirement plan. Also, they typically vest immediately. So David just explained before the break what vesting is. Typically, if you're using a 403B as a company-sponsored retirement plan, you have access to 100% of those funds immediately. You don't necessarily have to build any tenure with the organization to get access to the money that you've invested in your 403B. And finally, if the plan permits, it may include an additional contribution provision of up to $3,000 for employees who have at least 15 years of service. So if your particular plan permits and you're a teacher and you have already put in 15 years of service of teaching, at that point, you may be able to invest an additional $3,000 a year until you actually retire. So that's you know another version of a catch-up contribution. If you weren't able to invest enough or at all when you were younger and you were teaching, after 15 years of service, you may be able to add an additional $3,000. Of course, with the limits of being up to $19,000, that might be outside of most people's reach, but it's also nice to know that it's there. So if that's if it's there and you have the capability to do it, certainly take advantage of it. Absolutely. So one of the other differences is that 403Bs often don't have as much investment options available to you. For example, primarily, when you have a 403B as a part of your plan, you are typically not working for a independent company or a or a public company. So you can't invest in the stock of your company. You can't invest in the stock of your nonprofit or the school district or the state government. So that's one of the limitations. They also may have a smaller pool of investments that are available. Sometimes these only allow you or sometimes they will invest in an annuity. Now, annuities are very complicated. Again, a whole nother podcast that we could talk about annuities. But one of the things to keep in mind is that annuities can oftentimes have a surrender charge or a sales fee that you are charged when you withdraw the money. Some of them can be extremely high, as high as 8%. So basically what they're doing is this, they are taking out 8% when you withdraw, especially if you're doing withdrawals before a certain time horizon. So you want to be very careful about what it is that you're investing in. We try to encourage you to stay away from those fees. Again, this may be an opportunity for you to talk to Bloom to see if they can help you stay away from something like that. Exactly. And then some of the unique characteristics of 401ks. So on the flip side, contrary to 403Bs, 401ks are typically for for for-profit companies. So the larger companies that you're familiar with typically have 401ks. They also, as David mentioned before the break, they often, though not always, require an investing period. So you have to work for the company for a certain number of years to be able to have 100% access to 100% of the funds that you invest into that, that account. But that's not always the case. That's sort of an older model of 401ks. Um, That's something that's been slowly been going away over the last couple of years. So it's very likely you don't have that caveat, but it's also important to be aware of that before you start investing. Yeah. And I think one of the other things that you can sometimes 
typically find with 401ks, as well as the the vesting needing to take place over a certain time period, you may find that you're not able to participate in your company's 401k right, right away. Some companies require that you are not able to participate until you've been in, uh, working for the company for six months or something like that. Year. So it really it really kind of depends. Uh, you want to definitely want to check that out. We encourage you to get into it as soon as you possibly can because then you start investing. So there's some other things uh, that are different with the 401ks, as we mentioned earlier, that they oftentimes with 401ks, you're working for a large public company. When you ha- work for a large public company, they may give you access to purchasing stock through your 401k. One of the nice things about that is oftentimes you're purchasing it without having to pay a traditional brokerage fee on that. And some companies do allow their employees to purchase employee stock at a lower rate they do sometimes they do what's kind of called a buy-in period where you will be able to purchase only a couple of times a year and what they do is they set a specific price which is oftentimes lower than what it is in the general market so for some employees it immediately allows them to have a gain on their investment but keep in mind that investing in the company that you work for, if you are doing that, it adds more risk because if your company goes down, <laughs> as in the case as it did with Enron, not only do you lose your job, but you may lose your retirement money as well. So we want to encourage you to assess your risk. That's a very important thing to make sure you're not taking on too much risk. And I think it's important to note there that if you do have access to purchase your company stock in your in your retirement plan, um, especially if you're able to purchase it at a lower price than, than traditional market value, then make sure you don't acquire too much of a position in your company stock. Right. Don't have it be too large of a percentage of your overall portfolio. Um, many people, as we learned with the Enron scandal, many of those employees, unfortunately, were 100% invested in their company stock. The company went belly up. They lost everything that they ever saved, even people that had six and seven figures saved uh, in their retirement plan because the company went belly up. So it's enticing and it's also uh, supportive to purchase your company stock if you have access to it. And it's oftentimes a good thing to do, but you don't want it to be the dominant investment position in your portfolio. Right. So with all of these extra options, oftentimes comes a little bit more cost, (laughs) right? So there's someone who has to manage all of these different aspects of it. If you're going to be purchasing your company stock, somebody has to manage that part of it. If you're going to be purchasing stocks out on the open uh, market, somebody has to manage that. If you have a select pool of mutual funds that you can pick from, somebody has to manage that. So with all of that comes its administrative costs. And those administrative costs are often charged to the participants in the plan. They're not necessarily charged to your company. What they do is they disperse that fee all throughout to every single account. So you'll see that you're having fees come out of your account. Typically, in most 401ks, what you're seeing is on a quarterly basis or sometimes a monthly basis, those fees are being basically clawed back from the account to the administrators or they get paid out to the administrators. The other thing is that 
because you do have more investment options, you really do have more of an option to invest your portfolio in a way that you want to invest it. So one of the cool things is that a number of 401ks now do allow you to purchase individual stocks or exchange-traded funds. You are allowed to purchase stocks outside of your 401k at another brokerage firm, but they show as if they're in your 401k. And when you do that, it gives you access to a the whole gamut, all of the stocks and mutual funds that are out there. The cool thing is that there are some mutual funds out there now and some exchange traded funds that support the LGBT community. You can purchase those, what they call socially responsible funds. Uh, if you're interested in supporting gender equality in the workplace, there is an exchange traded fund that looks for companies that invest in companies that typically have a significant number of women in executive levels. So there's more options available to you in a 401k when it comes to your investments. So those are the differences when it comes to 401ks and 403bs. A lot of information here for you. Okay, you can wake up now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know that some of these topics can be a little mundane, a little too much sometimes, but we definitely feel like this is an important one to cover. We want to encourage you to definitely check out what employer-sponsored retirement plan you have. So there you have it. There are the differences and the similarities between 401ks and 403bs. Again, if you're not investing in your employer-sponsored retirement plan, please do so. We need to get that 27% number going way up. Definitely more than half of us need to be contributing to our employer-sponsored retirement plans. If you are already contributing and you're not at 10%, try to increase it. So for help calculating where you stand relative to your retirement goals, download the Magic Money Calculator to see if you're on track for those retirement goals at debtfreeguys.com forward slash 165. Finally, we want to build a financially strong LGBT community. The way that we do that is by talking about it, by sharing. So please like, comment, and share this Queer Money episode with your friends on social media or wherever you end up talking about podcasts. We have to start talking about money in the LGBT community. We're going to keep talking about it, but not until next week. So we'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening.